time, folks. Enjoy the show. Hello and welcome back to Saturday Matinee Theater, brought to you by your friends at the Long Box Crusade. I'm your host, Jared Albrecht, the yard sale artist, and joining me, as always, is the Watson to my Sherlock, Pat Sampson, a.k.a. DJ Christados. How are we feeling today, Dr. Christados? Well, Jared, you can just call me easygoing Dr. Christados. That's what they call me. <laughs> Always with a smile and a song when things go wrong, eh? <laughs> How are you doing? I'm good. Thanks for asking. And I'm glad that you're feeling good and you're peppy, which we like peppy, on this yeah. show. All right. Well, also joining me is the Mycroft to my Sherlock, my older, wiser brother, Jason the Weasel Skull. Make everybody wait while he's having dinner. Albrick, how are you doing today, Jason? I am full and I am horny, just like Dr. Watson in this episode. <laughs> <laughs> Oh boy, oh boy. I love it. We also have with us our favorite constable, Delvin the Dark Web Wilkins. How do you do, Bobby Wilkins? I'm pretty frustrated. You know, you try to catch criminals and they keep escaping, but I found a trick. You grab them with two arms, like (laughs) like that, just like so, and they stay in place then. Excellent, excellent. Glad you're learning things from the episodes. Got to make sure you have your Bobby buddy with you to hold down crooks. I know. I recommend Sneaky Bobby. Yeah. (laughs) He sneaks up on him, then he gets him in uh, like a full Nelson. Speaking of wrangling people into shows with full Nelsons, we have a guest for our show tonight. I would like to welcome the Watson to my Sherlock, the Mycroft to my Sherlock, the Bobby Wilkins to my Sherlock, and the Moriarty to my Sherlock. I think I covered all the bases. Thanks for being on the show, Mr. Ryan Daly. Well, thank you for having me. And like the titular character of this episode, I totally did not strangle a showgirl in the alley. <laughs> that's a good way to hey, start your evening. That's oddly specific. <laughs> no, because I'm telling you, I totally didn't do that. <laughs> oh, good. Well, welcome to the show. As a first-time guest, we have the one-two punch question for you to answer. Mr. Ryan Daly, what is your first memory of Sherlock Holmes, and what is your favorite iteration of the character? I think in sixth grade, like the English sort of language arts class, whatever we were taking, our big anthology hardcover of short stories that we got included The Speckled Band. I think that was the first story of Sherlock Holmes that I read. And then later in high school and college, I got into Edgar Allan Poe and I kind of read up that he had sort of almost kind of invented the prototypical detective story that Arthur Conan Doyle would then perfect when Poe wrote The Purloined Letter and The Murders of the Rue Morgue, created this detective character named, I think, Auguste Dupin, I think is the guy's name. And I read those stories and he's very much like in the, the Sherlock mold of just being able to notice all the things that everybody else misses. And really liking those stories, I decided I went to like a Barnes and Noble and they had their like Barnes and Noble brand editions. They had uh, two hardcover volumes that had the complete Sherlock Holmes, everything that Doyle wrote, all of the novels and the short stories in these two big books. So I took those home, started to read through those and I enjoyed it, but that was kind of the extent of it until really to answer the second question, what is my preferred or my favorite version? It is the recent BBC version starring Benedict Cumberbatch and um, uh, why can I not think of the guy whose name who plays Watson? Martin Freeman. Uh, uh, Martin Freeman, thank you. Couldn't think of He's a name. hobbit. That's just um, in a movie, Pat. <laughs> oh, oh, okay. <laughs> he, he's not a hobbit on um, Sherlock Holmes. Yeah. 
Oh. Uh, and the funny thing was, like, right before I watched that first show, like, I was listening to a podcast. I think it was Word Balloon with John Suntress. And he was talking to the comic creator, Matt Wagner. Wagner was basically making the point that a lot of these pulp uh, and sort of, like, heroic characters really belong in their era, belong in their time. Like, Sherlock Holmes belongs in this sort of Victorian England setting. You can't really advance him into the modern day. He was saying the same thing about Zorro. He was kind of making the same case for Batman and Superman and the superheroes from the 40s. Like, we've gotten to the point now where you have to keep making excuses why facial recognition technology doesn't like blow these guys secret identities but i just remember thinking that i was like yeah you probably can't do a modern day sherlock holmes and then like a week later i watch the bbc version with cumberbatch and freeman i'm like you know what they absolutely can't they (laughs) they cracked that and they knew how to do it really really well so yeah that would be my favorite version with our second runner up maybe the great mouse detective that's not the first time we've gotten that answer on this show That's a good one. I like that one. That's a good one. I think the biggest takeaway I have from Ryan's answer is now I want a modern take on Zorro. You could do that, but I think, I mean, so much about Zorro's story has to do with the geopolitics of California and Mexico at the time. And if that's not part of the story, I don't know what the purpose is. But you could try it, but Uh, I don't know. I don't think I like your attitude. (laughs) (laughs) You know, Jared, maybe somebody should make a comment book about it i like where this is going and i'll be honest with you i did look into because remember when i did the hamilton versus bird thing i was looking into public domain characters zorro is one i looked at he's weird technically he's public domain but whoever got the movie rights with the antonio banderas think it might have been universal i can't remember apparently they're a little persnickety about it more so lately so i don't really know how that falls i know like with frankenstein like you can use frankenstein but the sort of iconic visual image like the boris karloff Mm -hmm. version is still copyrighted by Universal. Exactly. So like things like uh, neck bolts and stitches across the head and that type of like look, you can't copy that look. Your Frankenstein has to look completely different. And mine so. does in my upcoming book, Francisco Stein. Ooh. A gunslinger. Thanks for giving me that lead in. That's what we're working on right now over at White Rocket Comics. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. This is a big commercial. <laughs> <laughs> Again, for Jared's stuff. Speaking of which, Pat, go ahead and play that commercial. Alexander Hamilton, Aaron Burr. If you're a history lover or a musical lover, you probably know about both Hamilton and Burr's rise to power in the early stages of American history and their infamous duel. But what if you didn't know the full story? What if one of them was a werewolf? White Rocket Entertainment proudly presents a 48-page full-color comic book, Hamilton vs. Burr, A Werewolf Tale. Written by Jared Albrecht, the yard sale artist, art by Nate Niles, colors by Ace Wheelie and Ken Solomon, letters by Percival Constantine, and edited by Johanna Albrecht. Hamilton vs. Burr, A Werewolf Tale. Available digitally on Kindle and Comics Central. C-O-M-I-X Central. Prefer a print copy? Hamilton vs. Burr, A Werewolf Tale, along with my other published works, are available at theyardsaleartist.bigcartel.com. That's theyardsaleartist.bigcartel.com. Or you can buy it directly from me, creator Jared Albrecht, the yard sale artist, at any of my Comic-Con appearances. Hamilton vs. Burr, a werewolf tale. Get your copy today. You won't regret it. Don't take my word for it. Here's what Ming Chen from AMC's TV series Comic Book Men had to say about it. I really enjoyed it. A lot of great werewolf scenes in here. A lot of great... Uh, this is how I wish history would be told to kids. <laughs> <laughs> Books like a- a Hamilton vs. Burr, a werewolf tale. That's Hamilton vs. Burr, a werewolf tale. 
And we're back. You're going to make me put that in all the time, aren't you? <laughs> yes. Okay. Nobody mentioned Jared's book anymore. <laughs> <laughs> it's good policy. Okay. You know what? This is all very confusing. Saturday matinee theater. What exactly is it? <coughs> Only Dr. Christados knows for sure. Please let everybody know, Dr. Christados. Well, Jared, let me tell you what it is. Saturday matinee theater is a retro review, sometimes index show brought to you by the Longbox Crusade, where we are taking you back to the past with some potentially overlooked retro awesomeness in the realm of television, movie serials, or films. Basically, if it's vintage and it's kind of forgotten, we're going to dig it up. we got some plans for down the road, but for the first stretch of Saturday Matinee Theater, we'll be covering all 39 episodes of the 1954 television series Sherlock Holmes, which was produced by Sheldon Reynolds. It starred Ron Howard as Sherlock Holmes and H. Marion Crawford as Dr. Watson. So take off your deerstalker cap, light your pipe, get cozy by the fireplace, and let that soothing violin music of Mr. Sherlock Holmes whisk you away into the past. But make sure you knock on the door first before entering. Every time. Every time. I know. Every time. I, all I can say is I know. I'm amazed. I don't have a handkerchief, so there's just tears lying on my all of my desk here. That beautiful music really puts me in the mood to read some kind of historical fiction dealing with a supernatural character. Son of a <laughs> <laughs> Well, oh, that's you... amazing because I have a product. <laughs> Pat, why don't so, you go ahead and play that let's commercial? Let's <laughs> get started talking about the episode. Wait, hang on a second before we move on to the episode. Ryan, did you bring a musical instrument with you to the show? Oh, yes. I forgot about the talent all the All the cool guests are doing it, Ryan. Uh, I can find some spoons, maybe? Spoons it is. Let's listen to Ryan on the spoons. Go, Ryan. What'd you guys think of that spoon plan? Oh, man. It makes me hungry for some soup. I was going to say for some jello. I just went downstairs (laughs) and threw away all my forks. (laughs) (laughs) Don't need them. Don't want them. Appreciate you sharing your talent with us, man. We get the best from all the podcasters here. No problem. I actually named that piece a werewolf tale. Ah, um, that's a clever it. name because I have a comic book called Hamilton versus Burrow. And now I can go ahead and talk about the episode. <laughs> Episode 9 was titled The Case of Harry Crocker. The original air date was December 13th, 1954. The director was Sheldon Reynolds. The writer was Harold Jack Bloom. Guest starring Archie Duncan as Inspector Lestrade, Eugene Deckers as Harry Crocker, Harris Tobe as Charlie Willis, and Aki Yanai as Zaza. As a reminder, these shows are available on YouTube. And if you want to uh, talk about our show on Twitter, mention hashtag I'm following homes. And now we have Jared coming with the plot summary. Yes, indeed you do. There may be some mild spoilers as I talk about the top of all these summaries. I try to write the summary so we can get through the entire plot of the story, but I try to leave out how Holmes solves certain things. So if you haven't watched it yet, it won't completely spoil the process for you. However, we do recommend, like Delvin said, check the shows out on YouTube. 
and then come listen to the podcast. I think it makes it 10 times more fun. Hashtag I'm following Holmes. Plus our stupid jokes make sense. Well, it's not okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Somebody else say hashtag I'm following Holmes. <clears throat> hashtag I'm following Holmes. I'm following Holmes. Hashtag Horny Watson. All right. <laughs> <laughs> All right, here we go. This episode begins with a distraught escape artist, Harry Crocker, arriving at 221B very early in the morning to plead with Holmes to help him. It seems Mr. Crocker has been arrested for the murder of a showgirl named Sally King, but by putting his escape artist skills to good work, Harry Crocker has escaped police custody. But you can't fool Inspector Lestrade all the time, and the good inspector arrives at 221B without Wilkins. Aww. Booze. The booze. Yeah, that's right. To nab his fugitive in short order. And Lestrade warns Holmes to keep out of this case. So, that's the end of this episode. What'd you guys think? Not bad. Oh, you know, just no. kidding. Oh. Oh. <laughs> okay, it's not really the end of the episode. It's Holmes. not. That's as far as I watch. <laughs> <laughs> just assume. I, I didn't, didn't watch it at all. <laughs> yes, Patrick. <laughs> Holmes, of course, decides to do a little investigation on the side, off to the Empire Music Hall, the scene of the crime. At the scene, Holmes and Watson interview some key witnesses. The newsboy out front, Charlie Willis, the backstage manager, and Miss Zaza, a singer in the show. And who should show up with his usual flair? Harry Crocker. He's once again escaped custody. And once again, Lestrade recaptures him in short order, and this time, Lestrade finds a key piece of damning evidence on Crocker. Lestrade gives Holmes another stiff warning to stay out of police business. And speaking of stiffness, Watson has an interesting time in the latest dressing room. <laughs> After a quick trip to the morgue to examine Miss King's body, the lads discover that she was likely killed by someone she knew and that she probably wasn't in a heated argument with her assailant either, which leads him to believe Crocker might be innocent. So back to the music hall where the lads bump into Lestrade once more. It seems Crocker has gone missing again. And a happy accidental bumping between Watson and a showgirl gives Holmes the final clue he needs to prove Crocker is innocent. But who killed Miss King? The newsboy? Charlie Willis? Miss Zaza? Watson's raging hormones? Tune in and find out. There we have it, boys. <laughs> yeah, Watson had a new place to hang his bowler there. <laughs> I'm not going to lie, I got a little turned on too. But, uh... I don't know, man. Yeah, it, it, it bumped up a couple scores for me, just that scene. Did no one else giggle at happy accidental bumping? I mean... <laughs> that was by design, yes. <laughs> okay, cool. <laughs> well, let's get into our highs and lows, and we will be courteous hosts, and we will allow our guest, Mr. Ryan Daly. What's your highs and lows for this episode, good sir? I might have watched The Great Mouse Detective instead of this episode. <laughs> <laughs> well, give us your thoughts on that. 
Uh, no. First, Lowe's, I'll be honest, after listening to this podcast for episodes, I thought Sherlock was being played by Ron Howard, as in Opie Cunningham. Uh, <laughs> so I was extremely disappointed uh, that that was not the case. In terms of highs, I've got to give it to the performance by Eugene Deckers as Harry Crocker. This guy steals the show. I think it's telling that the episode is called The Case of Harry Crocker. Like, there's not, like, any kind of funny wordplay or any kind of, like, nuanced title. This is just, like, a test pilot for the Harry Crocker show that would spin off because it's really just him just putting on an act the whole time and he steals the show pat you were kind of mocking it at the beginning of this episode i have no idea where this character is supposed to be from no i can't figure uh, out what his accent is it's like it changes it's like it sometimes it's like he kind of sounds like mandy Patinkin's spaniard from the from uh the Bride. sometimes i think he's kind of doing like an irish lilt i was like where the hell is this guy from um but i, I got some french i caught some cockney in there yeah. i don't know what's going on i don't know I don't know who he is or where he's from, but I liked watching him and I could watch him for a whole lot longer than this episode. So I think I know where Nick Cage got his inspiration from, man. <laughs> this guy gives it his all, like every scene. So that would definitely be my high is uh, Eugene Decker's performance. Really, really good. He's just fun to watch. He's a fan favorite. He's been on a couple of other episodes and we've always remarked about how much we enjoyed him. Mm-hmm. Anything else, Ryan? For Lowe's, I, I'll be honest, like I kind of felt like the mystery was a little bit flat and I kind of felt like Sherlock himself felt a little bit lazy in this one. Maybe it was the constraints of the time limit of the show, but it didn't seem like he really had to work that hard to solve this one. And it really seemed like he wasn't working that hard to solve it. He was just kind of going along because he was amused by this, you know, funny little man. And Watson was just like, showgirls? Yeah, okay. Let's let's entertain it. Let's see where this this investigation takes us. Um, In terms of Lowe's, after finding out that it wasn't Ron Howard as my Sherlock, but (laughs) It really felt like he was just taking a backseat and Sherlock was almost kind of a passive observer in this episode. Fair enough. Let's get your thoughts on it. Bobby Wilkins, you weren't on the last episode, so what you got? Free Wilkins! Exactly. Yeah, I still haven't seen an episode with him yet, so I think this is by design. I think this They they had two constables in there, too. I know! (laughs) One of them could have just been Wilkins. I don't understand it. This is outrageous, really. I have half a mind to go to the writers and directors and, and give them a stern written letter very sternly you should do that i will do that oh i got sidetracked okay highs lows the only low that i have for the episode is that the mystery was maybe a little bit easy to solve and the reason why i think the mystery was easy to solve is because i solved it and i'm completely stupid when it comes to solving mysteries i'm I'm, that's just not my strong suit it's not i watched it and i'm like oh yeah that was a clue Uh, i don't notice good stuff Guys, it's a flaw. But many highs. The highs would be that, yeah, Crocker was entertaining as all hell. Like from the time that he just burst through the door and I kind of had a look like Holmes did. Like, what an interesting fellow. Because <laughs> he was. The guy was just adamant that he didn't do it and he was all lively and then he would escape and then come back. So like that whole thing was cool. And then almost as the counterbalance, Lestrade pulling his best J. Jonah Jameson that you could possibly have seen, even though he didn't know that character existed. I just imagine J. Jonah Jameson in his place and he would have been the exact same, just crotchety and curmudgeonly and all that. I mean, mad at Holmes for no reason at all. So there was that part of it. Holmes was entertaining. Watson was 
entertaining as well. <laughs> the role that he plays as Watson is so understated because there's a little bit of comedic timing there, not only with how he interacts with Holmes, but how he interacts with all the other characters too, and sometimes without saying a word. And that's the best kind of comedy sometimes. And you can tell just in the background where the showgirls were showing an interest. <laughs> And he just looked all flustered in the way that a guy might be flustered if a girl was showing interest, but he was trying to be professional. So there was a lot of stuff to like in this episode. I thought it was really fun, and it's the funnest one I've seen so far. Pat? Well, thank you, Devil. I'm glad you asked me. I'm glad you picked me before Jason. Jason's mad now. <laughs> Son of a I always go to Jason, so I had to switch it up. So I'm going to pass. I told you to hit your laddies. <laughs> I agree with everybody on this. I call him Crazy Crocker. He was just so funny. I enjoyed him. Eugene Decker, man, that guy. He is a character. He can play a lot of different people. He's just awesome. I knew it was him, too, when I saw him. I'm like, oh, there he is. Now that I can pick that guy out in the lineup. No pun intended there. <laughs> Go ahead um, and give yourself credit for a good one. Yeah, that was a good one. Was a, nobody laughed. <laughs> that was a good one. Anyway. Um, Bring out the crickets. <laughs> uh, no like, pun intended. <laughs> uh, thank you. Thank you, folks. I'm here all night. Enjoy the dancing girls. So Watson was so eager to say that Lestrade is correct all the time. I thought that was kind of funny because like he was using that against Holmes. He's kind of giving Holmes a jab like, ah, see, he's got to figure it out. Mm-hmm. I like that part. Seeing Watson uncomfortable around the ladies. Man, I can imagine him being in a Hooters. I don't think you get anything. <laughs> Never mind. I won't go there. I was just trying to picture Watson in his bubbler. I was too. From the 19th century going to Hooters. He does just... go clubbing every night. We learned that in one episode. Exactly. Yeah. He, who knows what Watson does? He also made fun of Lestrade for not keeping Crocker jailed or keeping a hold on him at all either. Kept bringing up Lestrade's temper just more and more and more. Nobody brought that up yet, but the different opening music. Mm-hmm. What was up with that? I don't know. It still had some little bit of that music in it, but not the normal orchestra. Do you think you could play a sample of that for us? Oh, I will. Did you guys like that better? Worse? Same? I'm just jealous that he can play the violin and the piano. I, I have no idea. <laughs> that bad, I just man. tell you, man. It's too much talent. See, he comes across as a simple man from Wisconsin, but he has complexity. Mm-hmm. What do you do in the winter? You got to buckle down and you learn to play instruments. <laughs> yes. Yeah, this is like Bradley Cooper. You know, too much talent. Too handsome. <laughs> <laughs> well, that is true. I am a handsome man. <laughs> He's got good jokes, too. And humble. Oh, yes. I learned that from Jared. Yes, my boy. Oh, Lord, it's hard to be humble. 
So what do you think about the music, though? The different intro? Better? Worse? I liked it. Somehow I was missing it. That, and that's the first thing that I keyed on when it came in. I'm like, wait a minute. Something's different here. Everything looks the same, but the music's different. Mm-hmm. I liked it. How about you? Same. I thought it was an interesting change. It threw me for a loop. I think I'm wanting the standard. What about you, Jason? Yeah, I think I'm kind of landing where you guys are. I watched it on YouTube. I was on the road, so I watched it on my iPhone. And that's the first thing I thought was, did I get a dubbed over version or something? So I was a little concerned at first. I don't know if this is an official change or if they'll go back or if this was a one-off. I don't know. I guess we'll find out next episode. But I didn't not like it. It just was a little jarring to me, I guess, after eight episodes of the violin music. I did not like it, but I'm not used to it yet, I guess. I wasn't a fan. If for no other reason than if I hear violin, it reminds me of Pat. And that always brings a warm smile to my face. Oh, you melt my heart. Oh, you know. You, you complete me. You complete me, Pat. <laughs> we'll talk offline. This is okay. a sweet episode. Sometimes you want to go where everybody is. <laughs> a whole other podcast, man. Yeah. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Speaking of which, Ryan, have you watched enough episodes to know the difference between theme songs? Do you have an opinion on that? Sorry, I muted my mic because I was still laughing from Pat's pun the, uh, before. About oh. the lineup. <laughs> oh, thank you, Ryan. Um, you complete me, too. Yeah. Uh, no, as far as the theme music goes, I'll just say that um, change is always, always bad. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's all I have for my comments. Let's go to Jason. I agreed with a lot of what everybody said before me. I really love the energy of Harry Crocker in this episode. The guy had me laughing from start to finish. I wrote a note here. I think this is the first glance we get of a body that's actually in the morgue. So I think they're getting a little more daring as the show goes on with the dead bodies, which was kind of interesting. Watson really needs to get some action, man. He's like a dog in heat that plays. It was embarrassing to watch. But in a good way, it was funny. And I guess ultimately what I really loved about this episode was there's kind of a sense of camaraderie between Holmes and Crocker, which I haven't really seen before. And there were two professionals that were genuinely interested in one another and respected one another. Crocker to the point where he escaped from prison to come and seek out Holmes's help. And throughout the whole episode, and I've mentioned this before, Holmes almost seems disinterested in cases sometimes. He'll float back between a chemistry experiment and his client or potential client and he kind of dabs in and out but this one he was interested the whole way he wanted to know how he got out of that closet it was almost like you know a little kid trying to figure out the magician's secret and Crocker for his point was always just one up in Lestrade and my favorite point was when Lestrade handcuffed him to himself (laughs) and then like it wasn't even 30 seconds that Holmes is bending down looking at the little footlocker thing and then Crocker's down there with him and it took me like a few seconds to realize that Lestrade's standing there with just the handcuffs hanging off him. And Lestrade's sitting there looking, and it takes him like a second to realize that, oh, crap, he got this handcuffs off. I was rolling the whole time. I'll just wrap it up and say, I think this is the first person, including Watson, that had Holmes's absolute attention. And I like this show so much, I watched it twice, because I got so caught up with Harry Crocker that there are a couple of you that mentioned it, that it almost seemed like Holmes and Watson were in the background. And so I watched it again just to kind of follow Holmes. And it was just really fun to watch him because it was actually a brilliant act of subtlety. He was able to step back and let Crocker have the show like a good illusionist 
watch Crocker. Don't pay attention to what Holmes is doing. And as you're watching Holmes, Holmes is bemused by Crocker and watching him, but also looking around at everything. And I thought this was just brilliantly directed. I thought, I think this is my favorite episode so far. That's all I got. Well, I'll toss in my two cents and then give you my fun facts with Jared. Just like you guys, it was extremely captivating. Eugene Decker's is... I felt like since we've seen him a couple episodes before, I felt like the producers hadn't paid him for the previous episodes. And they were just like, you know what? We're going to give you your own show. Do your own thing. And that's how we're going to pay you. Because he came in with that ball of energy. My two favorite moments from him, although I love what Jason said about the handcuffs. I love, I think it's the second time he escapes their custody and he shows back up at the opera house. He comes in like pretending he's paddling a canoe as these guys walk by. Oh, yeah, as that prop goes by. He has no care in the world. There was a one time, too, where he had gotten away. He was perfectly hidden. And then Lestrade said something that offended him. And he popped out. He's like, no, I'm not guilty. (laughs) I think it was Jerry Seinfeld who said this. I think I'm stealing from from Jerry Seinfeld. He said, you know a show is funny when they can make a death funny. And when Harry Crocker told the story of the death of his father, that was pretty funny. Oh, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That was the highlight for the episode. I was going to mention when he talks about his father, how he always escaped the basket in the river trick, like hundreds of times or whatever. And Holmes or Watson, one of them is like, oh, your father's dead. He's like, no, his last time in the basket or something. Yeah. Like that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. He, he died the last time he got tossed in the river <laughs> in the basket. <laughs> oh, man. So that was good stuff. Great episode. One other thing that I caught, go back and watch it, and I think you'll catch it too. Eugene Deckers comes in in his opening scene. You could tell he's got that ball of energy. You know they didn't do a lot of retakes and reshoots back in the day. He actually but- mispronounces his own name. When he first shows up, he calls himself Harry Croker. It's, you could almost tell that little amusement between the actors as they mm-hmm. start calling him Crocker. I think that that helped the show a little. I just think we got to see a bunch of actors having fun together, and that's fun to watch. He almost screws up the line for Billboard, too. I did not notice that. He kind of goes like the... Uh, he goes bill uh, b- b- billboard or something. Ah, well, so. can't all be professional pronunciation no. people. Not like break. His father drowned in the river. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> give the guy a break. <laughs> well, the fun facts I have. First one, very obvious. Eugene Decker's returns. He was Sergei Smirnov, the crazy Russian guy. He was Vickers, the blind killer. In the last episode, I think we've all come to love Mr. Eugene Decker's, and he's a welcome return to the show. Not much of a fun fact, but worth stating. The only other fact I have is Harris Taub, who played Charlie Willis, did a lot of British television to include some Doctor Who episodes, amongst many other things. He was in that movie Lassiter with Magnum P.I., and he was in the airplane movie The Blue Max. So, you can find Harris Taub in a couple other places. I'm pretty sure you made those last two movies up. <sighs> Anybody else seen Lassiter with Magnum P.I.? I haven't seen it, but I know of it. Alright, I'll take it. You that. do not. You, you <laughs> don't, don't help your brother. You are a liar. <laughs> I do not lie. I have heard of Lassiter. He's lying. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> What's killing me is like at this exact moment, I can't remember Magnum P.I.'s real name. <laughs> Tom, Tom Seller. Thank you very That's much. I'm like, was this a Magnum P.I. movie? No, That's I'm like, what are you talking about? You knew what I was talking about because you said Tom Selleck. Don't question me. No, but you said Magnum P.I. movie. Yeah, I'm I like, need you to shut up. All right. <laughs> no, you shut, shut up. As most shows, this one takes a dark turn at the end. <laughs> Guys, we can't argue. We have company over. We have company. Well, since we do have company, why don't we move into the phase of the show where we rate this particular episode with our one to five pipe scale. Get out your pipes, boys. Pat, Pat, put that, put it down, Pat. We're not smoking.
Smoke wood. Come on. First we reward them, and then we'll smoke. Nope. Uh, smoke, do we smoke as many as we reward? Uh, that's up to you. If anybody's not going to use yours, <laughs> just pa- pass it my way. On the left pass hand the side. dutty on the left-hand side. <laughs> okay, we rate the shows on a scale of one to five pipes. If you give it all five of your pipes, that means you absolutely loved it. Four means you thought it was very good. Three means it was good. Two means it's just okay. And one means I did not like it. How many pipes are you going to give this? Ryan Daly. Did something to my tummy feathers. Or, no, no, that's the other show. Um, <laughs> that's legit. I like it. I like him. I like him. Keep him coming back. Those pipes, like, smoked my tummy feather. I don't know. No, I'm not doing that. Um, I, I think I'm going to land right in the middle and say give it a three as a good episode. Again, the Harry Crocker character is a lot of fun to watch. He's very energetic. But I think as a showcase for Holmes and Watson, I didn't feel like it was as strong for them. So I could possibly be persuaded to bump it up to a four but my instinct says it's just a three fair enough what you got pat i'm gonna take one of ryan's tummy feathers and stick it in my pipe and smoke it (laughs) (laughs) and i'm gonna give this a four i thought it was very good like ryan said yeah it wasn't a lot of you know really Holmesy intrigue going on there but i do like the acting that was done by eugene and the others as jason mentioned too just when you look back and see that holmes was really interested in this crocker character they all played off of each other very well so i'm giving it a four delvin you know what i'm in a great mood so i'm giving it a five I, I, I enjoyed it. The three main characters of this episode, I enjoyed all of them and thought that they played their roles fantastically. And this was the first episode of the series so far that I wasn't, even though these are 26 minutes long, that I wasn't thinking, geez, how much time is left? It went by just quickly and effortlessly. I enjoyed it a lot. So it gets a five. I understand that reasoning. Mycroft, my brother, what's up? Well, you have Holmes and Watson, of course, always good. You have some great writing, some great comedy, a great mystery, well-directed. All the actors came with their A-games and pulled off great performances. Everyone down to Lestrade. No Wilkins, I'll say that. But even without Wilkins, it gets my first five. I loved it. There we go. High five, Jason. Well, scooch on over on the five train, boys. I'm getting on board. Oh, boy. Toot, toot. Which is weird, because I know on a previous episode, I said I preferred like 70% mystery, 30% humor and this one had more humor but I think Eugene was so captivating Watson with the showgirls was great the mystery was not terribly complex I mean our own Bobby Wilkins apparently (laughs) solved it <laughs> but I got to kind of go with another thing that Delvin was saying, though. A lot of times, because when I'm rewatching these, I'm doing it with writing the summary in mind. So I'll sit there and I'll watch a scene, then I'll pause, and then I'll write in a real brief version of what happened to the scene, so on and so forth. And this time, I was so captivated, I watched it all the way through. And then I had to go back and do my scene by scene. So just like Jason, I watched it twice. That's got to mean something. So five pipes from Sherrod. I don't want to have two grades lower than you guys, because that would just be obnoxious. So uh, <laughs> it's okay. I will bump it up. To- That's no, fine. I- <laughs> the points that you made were good. It was it was entertaining. So, and I guess maybe I'm coming from kind of as Jared, as you were saying, like I don't tend to think of Sherlock Holmes adventures as necessarily silly. So that like the tone of this one just felt a little bit mm-hmm. off. But if I just accept that, you know what, this is a silly Sherlock Holmes adventure, then it was a good one. It was fun. I think you're right there, Ryan. You got to look at these. What I've noticed going through these is there are some. They're not just going to be straight mystery. There's going to be some comedy in this. You know, there may be different levels of the comedy, but it's a comedy. Sherlock, 
I like. Yeah, we have the perspective of having gone through many of these and taking this and that and the other. And this is sort of Ryan's first jump in, really. So it's, you know, it's okay. Your three is okay. You're not hurting anyone's feelings. Well, I'll be back, Ryan. <laughs> well, I will take my tummy feather Just back. not on this show. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wait, my uh, mic's still on. <laughs> Pat, you may go ahead and smoke your pipes now. Oh, well, thank you. Smoke them if you got them, boys. So, Pat, where's the uh, mailbag? Is it under your violin case again? Um, here, let me here, hold my pipe. Just Got a second. Yeah. It's a strong okay. smell. It smells like a really strong tea. Yeah, and I'm, I'm doing a little yeah. bit of a little tea and some cherry chip there, cherry wood chip. And Didn't mean to talk to you about that. <laughs> you might have a problem. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks for handing me that mailbag. Who's been sending letters to our palatial studios here at 221B in London? Forgot to welcome Ryan to London at the top of the show. He's probably loving it here. But Is that what this is? Yeah, this is London. <laughs> we give him all that expense to fly out there. We got him that girl who supposedly... I totally did not strike her. <laughs> yes. <laughs> haven't heard from her in a while. If you have enough of what's in Pat's pipe there, you'll certainly believe you're in London. <laughs> yeah, here you go, Ryan. <laughs> oh, man. Well, let's see who's been sharing, liking, and retweeting our show here lately. Delvin, would you be so kind as to kick us off? Yes, sir, I would. We will start off with our good old buddy, Aaron Head Moss. My best friend, Al Sedano. Left my and one of our favorite professors, Alan Middleton, at Professor Allen. Then we have Bill Thines. That sounds Thines. like a new one. We got some new people. We get some peeps. We might have a new person with Bill, but we got an old person and a fan favorite with Chris at BTO and Batbook. Sing it with me, everybody. Let it roll. Let it roll. Down the highway. Nailed it. There we go. It's not over till Jason thinks they can talk. <laughs> now, now we got a show. Next up is Clifford Alvarez. Thanks, Clifford. After that is my best friend, Clinton Robinson. And then I have my best friend, Coffee and Comics. Somebody just went out of turn, but I'll take his. It's David <laughs> Collins and Old Ben one. Hey, we can't have Dave back on the show. He was too good. Yeah, I, I kind of felt threatened. We're supposed to ask Delvin about the tech specs from the show. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I already told you. I, I don't notice anything. I'm terrible. You noticed the music change. It said at the start of mine on YouTube, the music changed. And I was like, oh, okay. It, it didn't say that. I made that up. Okay. Ah, so you're a liar. <laughs> we do not appreciate that. But what we do appreciate is Diane Terry. Thanks for the like, share, and or retweet, Diane. Moving on, we have Fred R. McMullen, who I also think is new. So that's pretty dang cool. We've got a few new ones already. Thanks, Fred. After that, we have my best friend, Fred oh, Reads Comics at Comics Fred. Now we've got G.I. Joe, a real American head cast. G.I. Joe. Then we have Gene Gene, the podcasting machine, Hendrix. And then we've got purchaser of Hamilton versus Burr, Werewolf Tale, available on Kindle, ComicsCentral.com, and at the yard sale artist.bigcartel.com. That's at the oh, end wait, of, I forgot uh, to mention his name. It's yeah. Jerry Green. <laughs> <laughs> it's Professor Frenzy, Jerry Green. Thanks, Jerry. Next up, we have Glidel Gullabon. After that, we have my best friend, Green Lantern HG, at Green Lantern HG. James Bond at Von underscore Grusa. Welcome, Mr. Bond. Then we're going to give a shout out to Joe Crawford. Thanks, Joe. I'm fairly certain this is Ryan Daly's best friend, Jonathan Schaefer Haynes. Thanks for the like, share, or retweet, Jonathan. We have the wonderful Ken Solo, who came out with our logo. Thanks, Ken. After that is 
is my very best friend, Keely. And then we have Kirk Spencer at Big Five Army. Following up that is Martin Gray. Sir Martin Gray, thank you. We got our old friend Mike Peacock. Proud to have you here. That joke never gets old. No, it doesn't. Next up, we have Nick Riki. I heard he doesn't smell that good. Oh, Riki! <laughs> Riki of the year. <laughs> <laughs> and we have my... Uh, uh, we have podcast partners. <laughs> well played. Uh, well played, sir. We'll follow that up with PrimoCast at PrimoCast. Then we have Professor Frenzy. Thank you, Jerry. Another of our favorite professors. <laughs> yep, in our top two, I'd say. Mm-hmm. Next up, we have the Relatively Geeky Podcast Network, which I think is run by Alan Middleton, oh. who purchased a copy of Hamilton versus Burr, a werewolf. So next we have Canadian Daredevil. Oh, oh, I know it's him. I used mm-hmm. it. It's him. Sorry, we have Ross Show. Thank you, Ross. Your secret is safe with us, mostly. Pay the ransom. <laughs> and then my very best friend, Ruth Sutherland. And then we'll get to Ryan Bailey at RCB in D.C. I think that's Ryan in this case. Ryan Bailey. It's like the thinnest. That's, uh, that's, <laughs> that's, what, that's what happens when you join Ryan and Michael Bailey together. You get Ryan Bailey. Ryan Bailey. Everything comes back to Superman in Cheers Bar. <laughs> that's our power couple name. <laughs> Ooh. Look at this new one. We've got Interesting. a new like, share, retweet from an account called Sherlock Movie Posters. We dig the Sherlock love there, Sherlock Movie Posters. We appreciate that. Next up, we have a friend of the show, Tim Price. I wouldn't mind having Tim on the show. Tim's an awesome dude. Yeah. Tim is an awesome dude. Yeah. Give us- <laughs> <laughs> Call me sometime, Tim. <laughs> Actually, Tim is very cool. I believe yeah. he's a purchaser of Hamilton versus Borough Werewolf Tale. <laughs> then we have Trekker Talk. Yeah, no, long dude. and prosper. Dude, uh, yes, if that's about Star Trek, I, I am 100% certain. Yes. Right. The needs Just, of the many outweigh the needs of the few. Keep <laughs> no, me up for some Trekker Talk. It's also, Warlord Worlds and Xenozoic <laughs> Tales. Hey, save this. Okay, we're going to reach into the mailbag for some comments from folks. And these go back to episode. Seven is that's correct, right, Doctor Cristados? Yes, you are correct. Ah, we did yep. not have, and that guy's dead. Gonna you are good at telling who's dead, and who's not dead. Yep. Would you check on the girl out in the alley that came with Ryan? <laughs> See if yeah, she's dead. Uh, she okay, did. While you guys are doing that, I'll be right back. I'll go check. So these are comments from episode seven. As you probably know by now, we did seven and eight kind of back to back. So eight didn't have any feedback. Anyway, let's get into some comments. I'm gonna somebody just leveled up. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to get into some comments. We'll start with Delvin. I'll get a letter out of the bag. There you go, Delvin. Okay. This one's from Trekker Talk. It says, I like the trend that all of your guests so far has brought Hamilton versus Bur- Son of a b-. Whoops. <laughs> <laughs> you gave me that on purpose. Too true, Trekker Talk. Too true. And may you live long and prosper over there, Trekker Talk. <laughs> Let's go into the mailbag. Ryan, what you got? First of all, that is an odd sound effect for giving me a letter. Listen, we're on a budget here. We spent all, right. all the money flying you to London. The least you can do is go with our sound <laughs> Violin lessons for Pat. Our wonderful best friends, Darren and Ruth Sutherland, former guests of this show, said from their Trekker Talk account, said, great episode as always. We, we look forward to having Ryan Daly finally being a guest on one of these days, maybe episode 40, since there are only 39 episodes and then some sort of smiley face emoji. Ah, well. joke's on you. <laughs> We got you on before episode 40. This may be the last, though. I, I just checked that body, and she dead. <laughs> <laughs> Good job, Dr. Cristano. 
Still time to re-record this. <laughs> Let me go into the weird-sounding mailbag. Jason. Oh, I've got one here by Dave Collins, and he says, I have underestimated at Weasel Skull's powers of perception. Great call on that sneaky Bobby. I do believe you are right about what he was doing sneaking around the corner. Great call out. And anytime you get a compliment from Dave, you got to take it, man. He came to play on that episode and did a great job. Yeah, he can't come back. He can't come back. Sorry. Sorry, Dave. (laughs) (laughs) You did too good. (laughs) I'm going to go with the bag for Pat's letter. This one is from Alan Middleton, and the professor says, so glad to be a part of this fine podcast. Well, thank you, professor. We're happy to have you on. It was our pleasure. Let me go in the mailbag. I got a letter here from Paul Hicks from Down Under. Paul Paul Hicks. Paul Hicks. Mate from Down Under, kangaroos and didgeridoos. And doubloons. What was it called? Wallaballoon doubloons or whatever he called it. Wallaburros? Wallabuckaroos, I think. Wallabuckaroos. That's what it was. But the weird part is this letter came to our 221B mailbag, but it's addressed to Ryan because the comment says, we know you're frantically trying to learn to play the harp before you go on the show. Apparently that didn't take because he brought spoons. Settled um, for the spoons. Went with the spoons. Mm-hmm. I mean, the harp is hard. I wonder if we can get Hicks to do a didgeridoo. Oh, it could be possible. I've got to say, I have podcasted with Paul Hicks many times and your impersonation of his accent, flawless. <laughs> <laughs> It's like I'm talking to him again. (laughs) I know. It's like he's in the room. I practiced that as much as you did the heart, man. (laughs) (laughs) I know I'm going to regret this, but Jason, would you like to do the closing portion? You will regret this. (laughs) You will. That's it for this episode of Saturday Matinee Theater. If you'd like to hear more from us in the realm of comic books, check out The Long Box Crusade. Pat, where can they find that? Well, Jason, I'm glad you asked. You can find The Long Box Crusade on iTunes, Google Play, or most podcatchers, www.longboxcrusade.com. Also, we are on Twitter at Long Box Crusade, and check us out on the Facebook at Long Box Crusade. Back to you, Jason. If you want to hear us on our trek through all the James Bond films, check out on Her Majesty's Secret Podcast. Jared, where can they find that? Well, Judge stepped out for a minute. <laughs> You're probably wondering how I got to the other side of the country. <laughs> uh, I thought I'd locked your door. Ah, I'm free. And I just <laughs> choked a girl to death in the alleyway. <laughs> Again. <laughs> You and Ryan have something in common, Mr. Connery. I, I mean, oops, never mind. <laughs> anyway, if you want to hear us on our trek through all these James Bond films, just check out On Her Majesty's Secret Podcast. It's on iTunes, Google Play, most podcatchers. You go to www.secretpodcast.podbean.com or on Twitter, we're at Pod. You probably know this, but it's the Chicago way. You got it. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you, Mr. Connery. If you'd like to chat with us online, we can be found at... Pat, where can they find you? Well, Jason, I'm glad you asked. You can find me on Twitter at Cristato01. I was waiting for Candy Crush. Oh, well, I'm glad you asked that, Jason. <laughs> <laughs> you can't find me on the Candy Crush. Up, I'm there as Cristados as well, too. Come and join me 
and let's play. Thank you, Mr. Cristados. Delvin, the Dark Web Williams, where can we find you? You can find me on Twitter at D-E-E underscore R-A-Y one nine seven seven. I should have remembered my manners and let him go first, but Ryan, where can they find you, sir? Uh, you can find me at Facebook at my name, Ryan Daly, where like many new fathers, I just post a bunch of pictures of my kid. That's a cute guy. Yeah, he sucks. Um... <laughs> <laughs> That's an 18-year sentence minimum, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> you can find me on Twitter at RyanDaily01. I'm also part of the Fire and Water Podcast Network, where I have started a new show dedicated to Cheers, which is appropriately called Cheers Cast. And then I've got some other podcasts Sometimes that are on. Sometimes you want to go knows your name. Anyway, sorry. No, it's fine. I've also got some other podcasts about Batman and Star Wars, but they're all on hiatus because right now I hate Batman and Star Wars. So. <laughs> what? Oh, sad times. It's like a dark turn, I think. Yeah, boy. That's yeah. a dark night. <laughs> I was going to leave it alone. Where everybody knows you. <laughs> Jared, go ahead and plug your comic book for the 40th time in this episode and let us know where we can find you. You can find me at Yard Sale Artists on Twitter, Yard Sale Artists on Facebook, Yard Sale Artists on Instagram. I think I have a comic book for sale. Pat, play that promo. <laughs> Alexander Hamilton, Aaron Burr. If you're a history lover or a musical lover, you probably know about both Hamilton and Burr's rise to power in the early stages of American history and their infamous duel. But what if you didn't know the full story? What if one of them was a werewolf? White Rocket Entertainment proudly presents a 48-page full-color comic book, Hamilton vs. Burr, A Werewolf Tale. Written by Jared Albrecht, the yard sale artist. Art by Nate Niles. Colors by Ace Wheelie and Ken Solomon. Letters by Percival Constantine and edited by Johanna Albrecht. Hamilton vs. Burr, A Werewolf Tale. Available digitally on Kindle and Comics Central. C-O-M-I-X Central. Prefer a print copy? Hamilton vs. Burr, A Werewolf Tale, along with my other published works, are available at theyardsaleartist.big cartel.com that's the yard sale artist.bigcartel.com or you can buy it directly from me creator jared albrecht the yard sale artist at any of my comic-con appearances hamilton versus burr a werewolf tale get your copy today you won't regret it don't take my word for it here's what ming chen from amc's tv series comic book men had to say about it i really enjoyed it a lot of great werewolf scenes in here a lot of great uh, this is how I wish history would be told to kids. <laughs> Books like a- a Hamilton vs. Burr, A Werewolf Tale. That's Hamilton vs. Burr, A Werewolf Tale. Wait, you're that Jared Albrecht? Oh, <laughs> and as this thing goes off the rails, I will just let you know that I am Jason Albrecht on Facebook and Instagram, a.k.a. Weasel Skull, so you can find me at Weasel Skull on the Twitters. I'd like to thank Ryan for joining us again tonight. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next episode, which is the Mother Hubbard Case, the meetup location by 221B Baker Street, of course. Pat, take us out. Bye.